Morning, folks. I would say turn with me, but I think you will might know this one, so you don't have to turn. Uh, which one is it? No. So uh, we're reading uh, from the, the sermon will be from Exodus uh, chapter 20, verse 15 this morning. Um, and that is, uh, you shall not steal. So let me pray. Lord, thank you for, for giving us a place to worship. Thank you for, for music. Thank you for the word that we're about to hear. Uh, thank you for Rich, who's going to bring that word. Uh, Lord, we don't want to take for granted that uh, we are free to worship in this country and that we have a place to do it. So thank you for that. Lord, thank you also for your word that gives us guidance of how to live. And uh, I pray that we would uh, hear um, even more about how you want us to live uh, from the from the chapter or the verse this morning, the scripture this morning. And uh, just give words, give Rich the words to, to speak, uh, that he would relay what you've laid on his heart and that, he would, and that we would clearly hear it and understand it. Thank you, God, for your provision. Thank you for your love. Thank you for taking care of us and help us to take care of others. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Jeff. Well, good morning again, church. Uh, my name is Rich Brown, and I serve here as one of the uh, pastors. And again, as uh, Jim was just mentioning, we'll be uh, just looking at Exodus 20, verse uh, 15 today. You know, you shall not steal. So let's uh, dive right in. Uh, when I was a little kid, I loved going to my old favorite restaurant, a little place called Cracker Barrel. Have you guys all heard of Cracker Barrel? <laughs> yes, I see a two thumbs up way back there. Um, so actually, I was looking at the map just yesterday or so, and I was like, wait a second, there's no Cracker Barrel, actually neither here in town nor even anywhere around here. So I was a little afraid that some of you all might not know what Cracker Barrel is. Thankfully, it sounds like most of you do. <laughs> um, and so anyways, if you haven't been to Cracker Barrel, I just want to kind of describe it for you all. You know, as you first walk up, especially think of it from like a perspective of a little kid coming for the very first time, like I did many years ago. As you walk up, you see this whole like porch, as it were, right? It's like this Americana-styled store slash like country food restaurant. As you walk up, you see a whole like row, like a whole line of wooden rocking chairs. And they're just like sitting there, like a dozen or more of them, every single one of them practically begging like calling your name, come try me out, <laughs> come try me out. Uh, as a little kid, I'm sure you've seen this before too, but it's always just filled with people trying out those wooden rocking chairs. We don't normally buy them, but they're there for the taking, right? So does Cracker Barrel have free entertainment? Absolutely, check that off your list. <laughs> as you then walk into the actual country store itself, you see all these like weird Americana and yet kind of cool like things you can buy. You see like patriotic t-shirts with the U.S. flag all over it, and you see, of course, the actual U.S. flag that you can buy. I even bought the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution there one time. It was pretty cheap, unfortunately, but anyways, got a copy myself of that. But uh, you see like all these like strange paraphernalia, right? Like who would actually use this little wooden dolly or whatever? Uh, but anyways, you walk in there, and it's just this amazing store. So does Cracker Barrel have free things to enjoy? Absolutely. Check. As you walk in, as you begin to wait for your food in the actual restaurant proper, you sit down and you're met with all kinds of really cool games that you can play. If you guys have been to Cracker Barrel, you know probably what I'm talking about, right? Like that wooden, or not wooden rather, but like an actual like cloth uh, checker set. It's like a, uh, an actual cloth that's like laid out and you use like coasters instead of actual little checker pieces to play checkers. 
really cool thing. And there's also this one game that always caught my attention in particular, the little triangular wooden block, right? And you use the little pegs to kind of, you know, knock out some of the pegs and get a little, you know, a low score, really. But as you begin to play that game, at least as a little kid, when you lose, you get called all kinds of names. And my very first Latin word that I ever learned was from that game, and it called me an ignoramus when I lost. <laughs> or an ignoramus, I think they have on the actual board. Anyways, uh, really interesting place. So does Cracker Barrel have free games? Absolutely. Check, right? You'd probably get the drift by now. But as you then walk out and you get your free food, all kinds of good you know, ham and, and bacon and eggs and all kinds of comfort foods, um, your parents then pay for it. So does Cracker Barrel have free food? Check. <laughs> Absolutely, right? So anyways, as a little kid, you go in there and you experience all kinds of free things, right? That's kind of my point with all this. The interesting thing, though, is that when I was four years old, uh, I went in there assuming that, well, everything's free, right? <laughs> Might as well help myself to this. So when I was four years old, as we were checking out, uh, I saw this little plane, this like yellowish slash orange plane that kind of caught my eye. It was this little toy plane from my old favorite TV show growing up on Disney Channel called Tailspin. It was a spinoff of the old Jungle Book movie, you know, and it had all the different characters from Jungle Book, but they were all like anthropomorphic and taking on human roles, you know. So I saw this plane and I'm thinking, ah, everything here is free. Why don't I just take this? <laughs> so I slip it in my pocket, walk home, and sure enough, later that day, my dad catches me playing with that little yellowish-orange plane. Thankfully, he did what any good parent would do. He said, hey, that's, that's not yours. We didn't pay for that. Let's actually head back to Cracker Barrel, return it, and actually apologize, right? So I did that. And, uh, you know, what I thought was a free toy was certainly not. I definitely learned my lesson that day not to steal, as it were, right? But see, my point is that we're taught, even from a very early age, this elementary, this rudimentary command of God not to steal. It's so elementary even that even a little kid is taught it from a very young age. Of course, kids are so prone and they're notorious to you know, steal things and to take things that don't belong to them, to not want to share their toys as it were. Uh, and so we teach them, like any good parent would do, not to do those kind of things. But the thing is, uh, and we know this from God's word, that stealing is certainly one of, uh, you know, not to steal is certainly one of God's commands for us. Stealing is breaking one of God's commandments, and that is that. End of story, period. Or is that all there is? See, a lot of us, I think, have this elementary view of stealing, this rudimentary view of stealing, that if we're being honest with ourselves, we probably don't really elaborate later in life. You know, is stealing anything more than taking a toy home from Cracker Barrel? Is it anything more than taking a paperclip home from work, <laughs> accidentally, as it were? Of course. But we might not always think of it that way. So as familiar as this simple commandment, you know, you shall not steal, is to us, as familiar as that is, do we ourselves hold to an overly simplistic, or even maybe, let's just say, a childlike view of stealing, even as adults? So, as always, we want to do God's word justice. Whenever we preach it, whenever we open it up, we want to hear the fullness, the full breadth, the whole counsel of God as we preach it. And so I want us to do justice to God's eighth commandment to us this morning. And this commandment, as is everything else in God's word, 
is given to us by God himself in love and for our good. So as we look at this commandment this morning, I want us to focus on three things, as always, of course, but three things this morning, three different aspects of that command of not stealing. The first of all is understanding the heart of stealing itself. Understanding the heart of stealing. The second point I want to cover this morning is recognizing our own thievery and... I'll change things up a little bit today. I'm actually going to leave the third point as a surprise for you all a little later. Uh, I know a lot of the youth know that I love to give surprises to them. So we're going to actually leave the third point as a surprise this morning. So again, understanding, stealing, what it is, uh, recognizing our thievery, and then we'll get around to the final point a little later. So let's begin. Understanding the heart of stealing. Now if you have your Bibles open to Exodus 20, verse 15 itself, and I would definitely encourage this, Uh, let's go ahead and kind of look at even how that passage itself looks. So Exodus 20, verse 15. When you take a look at this passage, you can kind of see even the form of it is pretty interesting, right? I know a lot of you here work uh, in IT or have worked for IT. You've worked with a lot of coding and things of that nature. And so when you look at it, almost like a line of code, as it were, uh, you know for those of you who've worked with technology, that even the smallest line of code, when it's not taken seriously, when it's actually not attended to, can lead to dastardly effects. Even a very few small letters and characters, if they're not tended to, they can actually cause all kinds of bugs in the system around it. And I think the same thing is true here in this Eighth Commandment. You see, even here, even the surrounding commands themselves, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, They're so short in the Hebrew language. They're literally only two short words. You know, lo, fill in the blank. You shall not fill in the blank. So what's interesting is that even stylistically speaking, this passage is so simple, so straightforward, and yet it's important that we recognize this small line of code, as it were, you shall not steal for what it is. Now, I mentioned in my last sermon that you know, all of these commands have to do with either our relationship with God primarily or other people primarily. And these last six commandments, this one being nestled right in between the last six, has everything to do with us failing to love our neighbor as ourself. See, God is our good and gracious Father, as I also mentioned last time. And he gives us these laws to protect us from harm and also from harming other people. And when we fail to actually tend to these commands that he's given us, these good commands, we tend to then hurt people around us. And so we do well to listen, because these commands serve as proper boundaries in our own lives in order to keep us safe and protect us and protect other people. Now again, this eighth commandment is is nestled right in between those commands regarding how to love other people And so stealing itself, in regard to this kind of uh, last few six commands or so, has everything to do uh, with really more than, again, a simple-minded way of stealing, but rather failing to love as we ought to love. It fails, we fail in loving our neighbor as ourself. See, at the very heart of stealing in this command, the sin of stealing Again, it's more than just taking something home with you, right? (laughs) Or not taking what doesn't belong to you. It actually elevates one's will, one's desire, one's well-being or position and kind of 
power and prominence in society, etc., etc., over and above the good of other people. Romans 3 tells us that sin has corrupted us down to our very core, down to the deepest parts of our own hearts. Our hearts, even as the rest of Scripture tells us, are more desperately wicked than we could ever care to admit. And so each act of sin that kind of rises to the surface in our lives as we deal with other people, as we try to love them and even fail at doing that oftentimes, each of these sins stems from something that's much deeper in our lives, where sin has radically corrupted us. So in other words, stealing is far more than a simple action. It's far more than a one-time, you know, punctiliar event, as it were. It's really a prideful disposition expressing itself in and through one of, I would say, three different avenues of our lives. The psychological, the societal, and even the spiritual components of our lives. Now, I realize that this is a very bold claim to make, you know, that stealing affects us psychologically and societally and also even spiritually. But I believe it's true, and so I love for us to unpack this a little bit. Uh, If you'd like to take notes, for instance, uh, you might want to think of these three things, these three components of our lives, as three sub-points under the first point of understanding what stealing is. So first of all, let's deal with the psychological or the emotional side of things, as it were. The psychological. You know, how does stealing actually stem from a psychological breakdown in our own hearts, in our own lives, as it were? Well, I would say, in essence, that stealing is essentially devaluing another person, devaluing them. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that stealing is much greater than, again, taking an object from another person. Yes, of course, stealing is often taking an object that doesn't belong to you, but psychologically speaking, in essence, when we steal from them and we devalue them, we're taking something of them away, of their dignity, of their respect, of their honor that is due them. See, when we gossip about other people and use our words flippantly or carelessly about other people, we are essentially trying to strip that person of any amount of dignity, respect, honor, etc., that really is due them as being image bearers of God. And when we gossip about other people, and we devalue people, effectively stealing from them, as it were, we're only doing that in many ways because we're trying to impress other people around us who might be listening to us as we also try to puff up our own selves. See, psychologically speaking, we are emotionally unhealthy as we're trying to steal from other people, and this comes out in the form of one-upmanship. You know, trying to position yourself above somebody else. When we steal the value of another person's dignity and honor, we not only attempt to sabotage their integrity, but the sinful act itself, when it's patterned in someone's life, is a sign of destructive behavior. Now, there are certainly extreme examples out there of narcissism and different kinds of personality disorders, and I don't mean to go so far into behavioral sciences here this morning from the pulpit. I don't think this is the most appropriate place for that right now. But in a much more generalized, in a much more common way to all of us, the heart of stealing in regard to our own human psyche has to do with the idea of being self-absorbed, right? Being so consumed by our own image, our own reputation, 
or even, dare I say, our own social media presence online before other people, that we actually end up cutting people down in order to prop ourselves up. Do you see how that has to do with stealing psychologically? So stealing not only has psychological implications or emotional ones before other people, but it also has societal implications, right? See, it's the pride and the selfishness within us that lead one of us to steal in the very first place. Pride is this attitude within us that says essentially, I'm above the laws that govern the rest of society. I am a law unto myself. I don't need to be governed by other people. And the voice of selfishness says within us, I can treat another person however I want to treat them. It doesn't matter if they're God's image bearers or not. I can treat them however I feel like in the moment. It's selfish behavior. See, when we choose to objectify people around us for our own benefit rather than their own good, um, the Imago Dei, that image of God that he's given them, this precious thing, is effectively trying to be stolen and again, devalued. Now, like an extremely hot day in the middle of summer, um, people in that position become unappreciated. We don't really appreciate extremely hot days in the middle of summer, right? (laughs) On a much lighter note, um, this time of the year is vacation season, and I know a lot of us, including myself, have been vacationing lately, right? We've been traveling all around the country, some people even around the world I know, uh, enjoying the sights and the sounds of all these brilliant things, this amazing creation that God's given to us. And this past week, I had the opportunity to go to Lake Anna. Uh, A lot of you, it's not too far from here. It's like, what, about an hour or so. It's not too far, so a lot of people really enjoy going there and just vacationing for a while. And this past week, I had the opportunity to go there uh, just for a few days or so. And I had a lot of work going on, so I figured going in, hey, I'm going to go ahead and just like devote three days to being with my family. Uh, We had come from all around the country ourselves, from California and Ohio and all over, And so I basically committed, hey, I'm going to stay here for three days, Sunday until Tuesday night, and uh, just enjoy this time with my family and relatives. Uh, I had just seen them a few weeks prior, but it was different circumstances, so this was much more enjoyable. And it was just a great time to, you know, enjoy their fellowship. So day one, Sunday, right, it rolls around, and I hop in the car, head over right after church over here, over to Lake Anna, and enjoy some good seafood and visiting with the family and relatives and all. Had a great time. Day two rolls around, Monday, and at that point, um, you know, I'm kind of just enjoying the lake itself, going kayaking for a little while, and some of the kids were fishing, my little cousins were fishing, and just was enjoying the scenery and all. But then work started to creep into my mind. Not necessarily work here, but I'm thinking about all my schoolwork that has to get done. I'm taking my next doctoral class next week up in Philadelphia, and I had to write a ton, like 80 pages, it's insane, before this class starts along with teaching a seminar and all these different things. So all this is beginning to kind of encroach upon my mindset, right, by day two. Day three rolls around, and unfortunately by that point, I'm already kind of checked out. You know, here I am committed to being with my family, but by day three, I'm thinking, okay, I need to prioritize my work and all these different things that I need to get done on my list. And so what happened, unfortunately, it's kind of a confession of sorts, as it were, is that I took that time that I committed to my family and I turned that into a time for me to kind of multitask, right? And of course, all of us know that you really can't multitask in life. You can try the best you can, but you will be taking away from something, maybe even both things in a lot of cases. 
And what I ended up doing, sinfully speaking, was that I took and I devalued that time with my family. And I also devalued even my own studies at the same time. <laughs> I tried doing both things at the same time and failed at doing both. Thankfully, my mom, who was just amazing and filled with so much wisdom and so much love uh, toward me, she saw what was going on in my own heart, and she saw this mismatched priority going on. And she said, she kind of pulled me aside and talked for a little bit about that, how that made her feel, you know? <laughs> a lot of us guys don't want to talk about our feelings, but I was glad that she did <laughs> go there. And it was very sweet because I saw in that moment, by God's conviction, yeah, I'm devaluing this time with my mom and my, my relatives and my family unfortunately. <clears throat> See, what sounded like a good idea at the outset of multitasking proved to be uh, the bane of me, as it were, right there. I wonder if you all can relate to this story. You know, these times in our lives where we end up devaluing people, devaluing the time and the resources and the energy that God's given us, devaluing these things at not only our own expense, our own joy that's lost in that moment, but even at the expense of other people who are being hurt by that. I'm sure we all can relate, right? See, rather than adding value to people in those times, we end up taking away from them. So stealing itself has also not just psychological effects, but societal effects. Finally, uh, when it comes to the spiritual area of our lives, we see that stealing is ultimately an affront to God himself. It's a declaration of discontentment with God's providence, all that he's given to us, his good gifts. See, we devalue or we depreciate the people that he's placed around us to love or even, let's say, the job that he's given us to work or the beautiful creation and the homes that he's given us to enjoy and to flourish in. Rather than obeying God's creation command from Genesis 1 to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and to fill it, when we are given over to stealing we end up taking and cheating and um, tearing things apart, as it were, and even, dare I say, ravaging the good things that God has given to us. Sometimes this, of course, is intentional, but more often than not, I would venture to say more often than not, especially for us as believers who are convicted of these things, we end up becoming oblivious to the times that we steal from other people or devalue them. We're oblivious to our own theft of that precious time or the resources or the people that God's given us. Now again, this kind of language may all sound kind of hyperbolic to us at first, a little bit exaggerated, but if it does to you, and, and that's okay if it does to you right now, I would argue that our understanding of stealing simply needs to be a bit bigger than what it might be currently. It needs to be expanded. It needs to become more robust so that we can better understand what God's word says in regard to these things. So that brings us to our second point for this morning. Not just understanding what stealing is, but then recognizing really our own thievery. And I apologize because I understand this is probably convicting for all of us in this moment, but it's something I believe we should be thinking about. So we've spent a bit of time talking about understanding this sin of stealing, but again, now I want us to recognize um, really what thievery itself is and how we ourselves commit these things. See, as I've mentioned before, the law of God it exposes how great our shortcomings are, right? Sin runs much more deeply than we could ever even imagine. It creates these psychological holes within us down to the very core of who we are. Uh, it creates societal and relational holes around us with other people and it also creates a spiritual hole within us within our own lives. 
But when it comes to our standing before the holy and the good law of God, we are not people merely who steal. The law of God tells us that we essentially are stealers or thieves. So real talk here. How often do we elevate our own desires, our own prominence, even our own legacies at the expense, at the cost of other people around us? If we find ourselves doing this, which we all do, is it not true that we are acting essentially as thieves of glory? Thieves of glory who are prone to misuse God's good gifts that he's given to us and prone to maybe even abuse things and even the people whom he has given us in our lives. Thankfully, in our honest introspection, my friends, we aren't left in this position. There's so much good news in Scripture. Again, the law of God points us to how dark, how deep our sin is, but there is such sweet good news in the gospel of Christ. See, rather than leaving us here with this command that leaves us feeling void, feeling turned inward upon ourselves, as Martin Luther once said, thinking and and feeling this sense of, Lord, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner, with no kind of response to that asking for mercy, God doesn't leave us there. See, friends, the good law of God is not only designed to protect us from the harm of sin, to protect us and other people, it's not only meant to teach us how to live as Christians, the law is actually purposed to drive us straight so quickly, oh so quickly, to the very gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the antithesis to thievery, to stealing, is what? It's giving. It's giving liberally, uh, generously. See, the opposite of that is, when we look at our own sin, God's good grace. The gospel in Ephesians 2, and I'd recommend uh, even turning there to Ephesians 2 if you have a moment, The gospel in Ephesians 2 tells us that though we are indeed glory thieves, people who seek our own pleasure, our own welfare, even above other people at times, following the same course of the pattern of this world, so to speak, God, and this is verse 4 in Ephesians 2, God being so rich in his mercy toward us, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, church, you are saved. He's rescued you. He loves you. See, we are saved by God's grace, this grace that is believed on in faith. And all of this is this amazing, generous gift of God given to you from the very king of glory, given to us glory thieves. Does that make sense? It's this beautiful paradox. So that leads us to our third and our final point this morning. And this was the surprise from a little earlier. Again, we looked at what stealing is and recognizing our own thievery. But now as we focus intentionally upon the good gospel for what it is, um, I want us to recognize that there are really two kinds of thieves here in this world. Two kinds of thieves. Because we've recognized that all of us thieve, we all steal in different ways. But that leaves us with a sense that there are two kinds of them here. See, the first kind of glory thieves are those who actually have received the grace of God, who recognize the grace of God. They recognize how sinful their sin really is. And yet they've received God's grace and love it and essentially breathe it in daily. It gives them the comfort that is needed for those of us, all of us really, who are bruised and broken by the fall, by sin. 
The second kind of thieves, as it were, are those glory thieves that really reject God's grace daily and they go on thieving. They don't want any part of God's grace. To illustrate this point a little further, there were these two men who were so well-liked by the people around them. They were amazing leaders. They were able to draw a crowd. They were what you might consider entrepreneurs. They would go against the grain in order to achieve these amazing things. But the thing is, they were not entrepreneurs and people who worked hard in an honest way. Both of these men were robbers. They were followed by the masses. They were adored by them for how they stood up against society, how they rebelled against the laws that govern their own culture. And yet, eventually it caught up to them. See, these two men, even within the same day, were caught by the law. They were brought in, they were put on trial and found guilty of the utmost kind of rebellion. They were found guilty of these things. They were flogged and then eventually led up a hill to die. They were placed upon two wooden poles, each of them, suspended upon a shameful block of wood for those who were passing by to see them and to learn their lesson from these two men, these robbers, these thieves. See, these two thieves, and we all know this story, these two thieves were crucified on both sides of Jesus. The giver of life himself, the king of glory, was crucified Believe it or not, and here's the scandal of the gospel, between two thieves, two robbers, becoming a curse for us on our behalf. Again, you all know this story. One thief refused to relinquish his pride, right? Essentially holding fast to his truth, so to speak, that he was in the right and that he would never, ever admit that he was defeated, that his days were over. And so in pride, he hung there, until his point of death. The other thief on the other side of Jesus recognized what was going on by God's grace and he saw in that moment that this perfect sinless son of God was being crucified for the sins of his people. And this thief essentially said, Lord, have mercy on me. Christ, have mercy on me. A sinner. He admitted defeat. I am a sinner. I need grace. I need redemption. But looking at Jesus though, there was another kind of uh, supposed thief upon the cross in the middle, right? See, Jesus himself was also a leader in many ways, an entrepreneur, as it were, someone who led the masses, someone who was followed by many, and yet he was without sin, totally and utterly without sin. His mission wasn't to make a name for, you know, the sinful motive, but rather it was to save sinners from their sin by offering up his own life, through sacrificial love upon the cross. See, again, the Son of God displayed his loving kindness toward glory thieves just like us by dying for them between two actual glory thieves. Isaiah 53 tells us that he, Christ, was numbered among the transgressors. He was a king among thieves, as it were. But see, unlike these rebels next to him, Jesus had no need to admit defeat. He was not defeated, (laughs) His words weren't, I give up. What were his words? It is finished. See, he finished the work of redemption for us. In that moment, the spiritual debt of every believer was cast upon Christ, paid for in full in that moment upon the cross. 
Love's redeeming work was done. Love had fought the fight and the battle had been won. Hallelujah, right? See, child of God, my question to us this morning is not so much, am I a glory thief? It really is, what kind of glory thief am I? Am I one who recognizes my own sin and desires to be in close communion with this Christ who offers me liberation from my sin, freedom from my sin? Or am I one who goes on living as if I don't need any help, one who has it all together? What kind of thief are you? See, those who repent daily as Christians who recognize their need of God's grace um, do so as almost as simple as breathing in and out is. See, like breathing in and breathing out, as naturally as that is, it's this thing that we do as Christians. The pastor and theologian Martin Luther once said that repentance is really this, this daily act. It's the very life of the believer, this act of repentance. It's essentially breathing out and breathing out, breathing in and breathing out, breathing in God's grace and breathing out this sense of, wow, I don't have to hang on to my burdens any longer. I can lay them out before God. I can breathe out the sigh of relief that he's paid for my sins in full. Church, rather than hanging on to your sin, rather than holding your breath, so to speak, are you breathing out? Are you recognizing the goodness of the grace of God given to you in the gospel? This freedom that he's given to you to lay down your burdens, every last one of them, your shame and your guilt, all the things that might entangle you before the very person of Jesus in love. Herman Bobbing, one of my heroes of the faith, he was a Dutch Reformed pastor from a little, well, almost 200 years ago now. He once said this, that God has in Christ visit us with these intimate impulses of his divine compassion. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> He's visited us in Christ with these intimate impulses of his compassion. See, we have a kind, we have a merciful savior. He doesn't scowl at his children. He doesn't tease us or mock us when we sin. Rather, he is a savior who invites us to come to him. He says, come and lay down these burdens before me. As proof of this, Jesus in Matthew 11, verse 28, said the following, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle, I'm lowly in heart, I'm humble, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden, it is light. So my friends, run to Jesus. My friends, when we steal, again, it's because we think that we will gain something, right? We think that we will actually gain some amount of, um, I don't know, ego or something that might tend to us that we don't currently have, kind of a freedom that comes from taking what doesn't belong to us. But real contentment and real freedom is truly found in Jesus. How can I say this thing with absolute certainty? Because Jesus is the only one who could and who indeed did provide us forgiveness for our sins before God. See, God has given us himself first and foremost, above all else, himself out of immeasurable love. So as we close, I want us to consider these words from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.28. We've been talking about this negative sense of stealing, right, this whole time. 
and we might have felt convicted even in light of the gospel. But Paul, just like I was preaching last time, turns the commandment, one of these 10 commandments, on its head. He doesn't leave it as just simply, you shall not steal, but he puts it in the positive. See, knowing that the eighth commandment points us to Jesus, the king who was among thieves like us, so to speak, the apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.28, again, turned this commandment on its head. He said this, that um, basically those of us, instead of saying, you know, you shall not steal, that our duty as Christians is to really give generously of ourselves out of the abundance of what God has given to us, out of the bounty that we've received in Christ. See, because of what Christ has done for us, we're now freed up to give liberally of our time, our talent, our resources, our abilities. And church, just to encourage you all, I see this on a day-to-day basis. It's amazing to have the privilege of serving and working with all of you in different ways. And even just thinking of like our youth ministry and our youth leaders, I see just the amazing selflessness in so many of them, and all of them really, and how they give so much of their own time and their energy. I see it as well in our men's ministry and the women's ministry leaders who also sacrificially give. You guys are tending to these things, and I thank you for that. And I see this so much even in all of our church leaders, those who are on staff and the elders and the deacons, those who serve so selflessly and give of themselves rather than devaluing, rather than stealing from what God has given us here at Grace, they add value to it. And I love seeing that every day. So be encouraged by that, church. See, the gospel is so much greater than this shot at a second chance to appease the law of God. The gospel proclaims to us the kindness of God toward the undeserving, toward thieves, toward glory snatchers who restlessly long for fulfillment in possessions and power over others that will indeed never satisfy. Friends, the gospel proclaims to us freedom from these tiring pursuits. It proclaims the goodness and the kindness of God that can actually transform glory thieves into glory givers, glory giving sons and daughters of God. The power of the gospel is here seen. Christ's riches laid down, his life given freely, his mercy hand delivered to each of us as believers his love irrevocably sealed, his life given up in love for us. Where we failed in giving God glory, Christ glorified his Father in our stead. And by resting upon Christ's finished work, knowing his redemption by his blood, we see ourselves no longer in lack. Given over to the habitual stealing we were talking about earlier, but rather convinced to give our lives freely for the sake of him who gave us his all. With that in mind, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are truly our good and our gracious God. God, we thank you that as we focused on a command that's given to us in the negative, one that might cause us to feel shame and to feel guilt, to feel conviction, we are thankful that you don't leave us there. We are thankful, God, that as you have taught us from your word, uh, we don't simply stop where that period ends we rather see that this command draws us so quickly to Christ. That in Christ we have this bountiful redemption and we have now the ability as people who belong to Jesus to give of ourselves, to be desirous, to extend mercy and compassion to those in need. And so God, we thank you that 
you, the very one who gave up your life for us. You are our savior. And you teach us how to love, how to love you and how to love other people. And so we praise you because you gave up our life, your life for us. And so, Father, we ask that in this time you continue to be pleased in this uh, time of worship uh, and that all this would be to the praise of your glorious grace. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.